I'm going to wait till the music. There we go. That was a little awkward. Uh, today we're launching a, a new series called Recovering the Image. And the reason we wanted to show that role in was um, sometimes in our head, that's kind of the picture of like the perfect family that we have. And you realize, of course, it's not. It's in black and white. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, but that's true. Like we look and we have different views of what our family experience is or what we think it should be or what we hope it will become. And a lot of times uh, we can have a lot of confusion as to what the image that family life is supposed to look like, the image that it's supposed to be for men, the image that it's supposed to be for women. So over the next three weeks, we're actually going to look not at kind of history and not look at our culture and not look even to our own experience, but we actually want to look into what the Bible has to say about the image of the family, the image of men and the image of women. And there can be a lot of confusion. And a lot of times, if you're like me, there's a sense in which we have a picture in our head of what perfection is. There's a certain timing that we want things to work. There's a certain person that we wish we had. There's certain kids that we want to have be a certain way. And what you find in life is this picture-perfect reality that we hope for doesn't match our current reality. And so this picture that we have of the family that we want, the family that we hope for, a lot of times doesn't match necessarily our own experience, doesn't match our present circumstances, and definitely doesn't seem like that's going to be happening in the future. So instead of focusing on what is picture perfect, we're going to talk today about what do we do with our current reality versus what God has said really the image needs to be. And just for all intents and purposes, you may be here today and as we talk about family, you think about your family and where you've come from and your family now and all the different pictures and different ideas and the different things that you guys have experienced. And it may look somewhat like this. There's the picture perfect and then there's Picasso. Okay, you ever notice that Picasso doesn't exactly look normal. It doesn't look kind of like a normal person. You can make it out. Okay, there's something going on. But what he did very well was he kind of portrayed just this this sense of you can see what it is, but it's it's just not exactly this picture perfect. And this is a lot of times our own experience. And so today and the next couple weeks, we're not going to be talking about perfection. We're not going to be talking about really this ideal that none of us can experience. We're going to be talking about the God who, despite all the things that we've experienced in our family life and experienced as men and as women, he's going to take our Picasso experiences and actually create a picture that really matches the way to please him. And so to do that, we really want to look at what the scriptures have to say. And so part of as we talk about family life and as we talk about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, uh, there's a sense in which you can just be overwhelmed with the things that you wish were part of your life. Uh, That could be the marriage that is struggling, uh, the single person who wishes they were married, uh, the person who is just wanting this perfect family with these kids and it just is not matching up. It's for the parents who struggling with their kids. It's for the married couple that that wants kids. And we're all in in different places. And there's a part in which as we deal and we talk about family life, it hits us right at at our core. Because there's nothing quite like family that just gets our attention. There's nothing quite like family which can just really cause us to focus down. And so what I want to just to let you all know is that your story and my story has not been written. 
in its completion yet. There's a beginning part of your story, which is how you were raised, how you were brought up. Uh, There's the current state of your story, which is your life now. There's a future part of your story, which I do not know and you do not know. Only God knows that. And so we're in the middle of the story that God wants to write for our life. So as we talk about these things, it's easy to kind of be overwhelmed. It's easy to be discouraged. And it's easy to focus on the ending that we wish we had now, the past that we wish didn't happen, or the present that we wish we could rewrite. But I wanted to tell you, in the midst of those emotions and the different things that you may experience, God wants to meet with you here and now and enter and intersect with your story. And as you do life God's way, the ending actually changes. As you cooperate with God and really want to obey Him and please Him, your story now has different chapters than when you try to do life by yourself. And so throughout this, I just wanted to say, the story is not over. We're going to talk about how to cooperate with God so the story can continue and really match God's ideal for us. And so, as we talk about family, we actually want to go to the beginning of how God created the family unit. And for many of you, you may have heard, okay, yeah, I know it's in Genesis and it's Adam and Eve, but really want to talk about God's design for the family and how it launched from there. And so, here's God's original design according to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and it's really this account of how God created the world, how God created us. And this is really the account of the first man and the first woman that God created. And it says this, so God created man in his own image. Okay, that's really what separates us from the animals. No animal was created in the image of God. It was only man. And man, it's this idea of not just man, but humankind. We were created in the image of God. So we have a distinct purpose and a distinct place in the world. So God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And it tells you male and female, he created them. And then you get a flavor of the relationship. And God blessed them. So he not only created them, but he actually created them and gave them blessing. There was this part of they entered into life and it was a good thing. They entered into life and there's this experience of, wow, this is really good. God made us and it is really good. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so the first man and the first woman were really given a distinct place on the earth, and that was to manage all that God has given. And that's part of the blessing. He's given the world for us to manage. This idea of get dominion is... You want to kind of display your power over the things that he's given. You want to be responsible for the things that he has handed us. And so throughout history, there's this picture of, okay, as humanity, how do we live on this earth and make the most out of the life that we have? That pleases God. But going back to the original design, there's this part of we remember where we come from. We don't come from our own just willing to live. We don't come from our own design, our own ideas. We actually come from the living God who created us. And from there, we get our instruction. And so here you get this picture of the original design for families, this picture of teaming together, becoming one, multiplying the earth, 
and expanding. It's this, this beautiful picture of teamwork. That's the original image of the family. Man and woman coming together to team up. Now, team up, not that rolling that we saw. And maybe not team up like a football team, but this team up where male and female, we work together in our own uniqueness, like puzzle pieces that fit together for the purpose of not just multiplying the earth, but doing it in a certain way. And as we talked about the child dedication, that's really this idea. It's you team up and you raise kids in a certain way that actually blesses the future generations. And so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so that's really what God created us for. This idea of teaming up together and raising kids in a certain way. This is called the great mandate. This is what God gave. This is what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply and manage all that I've given you. And from this, blessing flows. There's a further description in Genesis 2. And it says this. Then the man said, this is... Last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is, again, the unity that God has designed for the family, the man and woman becoming one, becoming a team. And Jesus quoted this in the New Testament. They were kind of trying to get what's the point of this marriage thing and what's the point of the family? And and it's the same questions that we have today. Everyone now is trying to figure out how important is the family unit? How important is the traditional view of the family unit that we have here in Scripture? And the questions that were asked then, Jesus quoted this verse to say, okay, many of you are wondering what's cultural. Many of you are wondering what's important. And he quoted this verse saying, it's based on creation. This is how God has created. And this is where families flow. Male and female, he created them. And so today, we are again and again coming to grips with what makes a family and what is the right family. And we have our experiences. We have what the world tells us in culture. We have kind of our own ideas. But when you get to the scriptures, you get this picture. This is the picture. Male and female teaming up together. And from that, blessing flows. So if you're like me, you're here and you're like, well... That sounds really great. Like, it sounds like a card that you open and like you live life and you get married and it all is wonderful. And the birds are singing and my kids are into Mary Poppins and it kind of feels like that. Mary Poppins, like just a spoonful of sugar helps that medicine go down. Where's the sugar? Where is it? it doesn't sweet like that. And it's true. We have this, this picture and it just, it seems broken. It seems like, okay, this is God's ideal. What? What has happened? Well, here's the good news. Again, related to the story. No matter where you are and what you've done, there's this picture of this is God's design. But ultimately, there's something bigger that's going on. And despite the circumstance that you're in currently, God wants to really guide you as a father. And so as we talk about the family, the big picture for all this is God is the God who is our father. He is the family that we are a part of. And so this is really this picture of what makes a family. But then overarching that is the big umbrella of the church. And as you commit your life to Christ, 
No matter what your circumstance, you actually become a part of a bigger spiritual family that's not connected by flesh or blood, that's actually held together by God himself. So no matter your circumstances, no matter your experiences, there's this picture of it is not over. You actually can commit your life to God. And from that, he brings people into your life from the community of Christians that can actually help you. No matter where you are. No matter the pain, the frustration, the overwhelming sense of what we want and hope for and what we have. It's held together by God himself. And he wants to meet us where we are and he wants to guide us. So it's so crucial that in our own understanding of what our life needs to be about, in our own understanding of what we need to build, we factor God in. We can't just create our own world and live life our own way. We have to factor God in. He's the designer. He's wired the world a certain way and we have to pay attention to Him and His ways. No matter where you are, each of us have to decide that we are going to make Him the number one factor in our life in our relationships, in our decisions, in our plans for the future, in our goals, in our dreams, is God the number one factor? And if he's not, we're going to keep hitting that wall where we're not getting what we want. We're going to keep hitting those frustration spots where our current circumstances don't match what we want. And there's just frustration. There's an overwhelming sense of bitterness or anger. And it can just weigh on us and weigh on us and weigh on us. And God wants to get our attention. Am I the number one factor in your life? Am I the number one factor in your life? And this is really God's ultimate design for family, that He be the number one factor in your life, no matter what your family life looks like. He wants to be the number one factor. And that's the challenge that we have. Am I going to do life my way according to my own desires, my own ways, my own strategies based on my own goals? Or will I consider God the creator who has given us the design for how life should work? Will I trust God that he can redeem my life and my situation? Will I trust God that despite the things that I've experienced, despite the things that I've done, Can he redeem my situation? I wanted to share a little bit about my story because I'm really a product of the Picasso picture of family life um, where it doesn't look exactly like I've just described. And there's a point in which all of us where we have okay, this picture of this man and woman that are united together. They commit their, their lives together to do life God's way. They have kids and there's this picture of their kids do it and their kids do it and their kids do it and their kids do it. And then there's one word that entered the world and it destroyed it all. And it's called sin. It's three letters, but it changed history because sin entered. And despite God's ideal, things got messed up. Relationships got messed up. And I stand before you as I didn't come from this beautiful picture of everything went according to God's design. 
And so I wanted just to share a little bit about my story because probably, like my story, your story is somewhat similar. And it's you have this ideal and this beautiful picture of what God wanted, this man and woman that committed to each other, that married, that lived life God's way. They raised kids in the same way. And then, where is that? I didn't have that. And so I wanted to share a little bit about my experience. Um, I'm actually from a family of many divorces. And I'm probably going to get emotional because my parents are here today. And so bear with me. If this is your first time at Church in the Valley, I do cry some of the time. This is probably one of those times. So I've actually asked my parents to, um, if I could share this, because this is part of my story. This is part of their story. And I don't want to share that without them knowing it's coming. So if you're like one of those people, you're freaking out, they know what I'm going to say. Okay. Um, So I'm from a, a family where divorce is probably the norm rather than the exception. Uh, my parents were divorced. My grandparents were divorced. I have aunt and uncles that are divorced. I have a sister that's divorced. And you really can see divorce in the generational line of my family. And again, it just became a part of my own experience. And my parents divorced when I was young. And my mom remarried. And we were a blended family. And I had the you know the stepbrothers, the half-sister. I had all the, the kind of parts where they all come together and you're wondering how's this going to go and a lot of time you know I was the youngest and I was probably the youngest to experience this just in all the different family units that were going on and revolving around each other and I really didn't understand all that was happening and since I've been older I've looked back and I've I've actually been able to gain more more clarity and a lot of the things that I, I wondered early on was why did my dad leave. And if you're from a divorced family, you may have asked those same question about a parent. Why did my dad leave? Why did my parents get divorced? Why did this happen to me? What am I supposed to do with this? What does this mean for my identity? Does this mean I'm something wrong with me? And all these questions. And those are part of the normal process when sin enters and families are broken. But I stand before you today knowing that the greatest thing my parents did was they continued to walk with God. And that's what I'm talking about. Their story didn't go exactly how they thought. And my dad, who is my stepdad, decided, and my mom decided, that in this new marriage, the number one thing that they were going to do was going to live life God's way. Despite, really, the picture that they had that was broken. And they raised me and my sisters with... The knowledge that God is a part of our family. God was a part of their life. And they were not perfect, and I'm not from a perfect family, and I'm not perfect. But the overarching theme was, no matter what, we are going to do life God's way. And I stand before you today not saying that despite God's design for family, despite this picture that he has of commitment between a man and a woman that's supposed to last a lifetime, despite the fact that that doesn't always happen, God meets us where we are. And I have two parents now that decided, despite the things that happened to them, despite the things that they experienced, they were not victims. They were going to live life 
God's way. And I looked at him. Mistake. That was a mistake. Don't look that way. But I just wanted to think. Both of you for that. And you guys deserve honor. Despite the shortcomings, despite the things that happen, that, that you really decided to live life God's way. And because of that, I'm blessed. My wife is blessed. And Lord willing, my, my kids are blessed. The reason I want to share that is I don't want this to be about me and my family, but we're all messed up. And I don't say that lightly or to be cute, but it's true. We're all messed up. That's what happens with sin. It messes it up. And I'm here today to say that it's not beyond repair and you're not too messed up your family situation is not too messed up. God will pre- repair it. He repairs it as you turn to Him and want to do life His way. It's not a magic key. It takes a lot of work. There's still a lot of pain. There's still a lot of regret. But He will repair it as you do life His way. And so I want to talk a little bit as we have God's design between a man and a female and a commitment to raise kids a certain way. I want to talk about what what does that really do? Why is that important to the bedrock of our society? Why is it important that, not just culturally, but if you look back to the creation, why was that put in place before anything else? And it's true, the family unit was there before government, society, communities. It was the first community, the family unit. And so what difference does, does that make? Well, Again, it comes from people that decide to team up together to live life in a certain way. That is the hope for our world. It's not in our government. It's not in our ideals. It's not in our culture. It's not even in our freedom. It's found in God Himself. Doing life His way and teaming up with others who do the same. And it begins with the family unit and actually extends beyond that. And so I just want to spend the rest of the message really talking about Okay, what, what happens, no matter where you are, as you decide to live life God's way? What, what actually comes from that? What is the fruit that flows? And I just want to walk through that. Living by God's will and design helps the next generation thrive. And I want to just read a psalm that kind of describes this process of the next generation. And as you live for God, you want to be thinking not just about the here and now, what makes me happy, what helps me with my goals, but how can I actually leave a legacy that will stand the test of time? So that my kids and their kids and their kids act actually a foundation to stand on. And you get this glimpse from this psalm. It's psalm 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So pay attention to this. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So as you experience God and who He is, His character, 
His glorious deeds, what He has done, there's this picture of, I will not hold it for myself. I'm going to extend this to the people that I know. I'm going to extend it first to my family, to my kids. I want them to know who this God is. And I want others to know who this God is. Verse 5, He established a testimony to Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children. That the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so they should not set their hope so that they should, sorry, set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. There's many talks in culture and in history of what each generation left. Like, what was their generation about? You have the baby boomers, boomers you have... Uh, that's like the only one I can think of. There's others. What's the World War II generation? Lots of people are saying stuff and I can't hear it at all. The greatest. You know, you have to live up to that one. The greatest. Okay, and then you're the ones after that. And you're like, not the greatest. But not on the notes, just in case you didn't know that. But there's this picture of what does this generation Leave. What are they about? What were their principles? What was important? And we, it keeps going on and on and on and on. And even today, there's generations that this is what defines them. What this scripture is saying is, what needs to define your generation is that you lived for God and His ways. That's what needs to define you. Not your educational method, not where you live, not what's important to you, not anything else, but you need to live for the living God. That needs to be the generational model that cuts through culture, that cuts through time. And this is how it happens, how to impact the next generation, how to leave a legacy. Well, it starts by communicating God's faithfulness. If you're trying to figure out how to make your mark on the world, it actually doesn't happen primarily through your job. Well, God will use your workplace and you can actually have a great impact because of the work of your hands. Your job doesn't define you. Your marriage doesn't define you. Your kids do not define you. What defines you is your relationship with God. And as you relate to God and you experience Him, and He gives you this new flavor of what life looks like, and this new picture that kind of takes the Picasso experiences that we have and actually aligns it with His ideals and aligns it with His ways, there's a part where we are supposed to tell the next generation about it. So if you have kids, this is what the dedication was about. One of your primary roles is to communicate that God is faithful, that He will not rip you off, that when you put your trust in Him and you stand on the foundation of the Word of God, you do not fall through. It holds your struggles. It holds your desires. It holds everything about you. It is the foundation for which you can stand. And you find that in that psalm. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. It kind of begs the question, what parent would hide God from their kids? What parent would hide it? Well, it's this idea of sometimes in the busyness of life and everything that we have going on, you can be overwhelmed by what's important. 
You could actually be misguided and misdirected. And really, the very thing that's important, you're substituting for the things that are not. This isn't just for parents. It's for every one of us. There's a thing where God is saying, this is the most important. You walking with God, doing life His way. There's going to be many things in life that detract you from that, that cause you to focus somewhere else. The American dream, the survival of the fittest, just making it through today. These are the things that can divert us. But as we are pursuing the things that we have on our plate and handling the relationships, God is a faithful God. And we're supposed to communicate this to our children. The treasure is something that, that you, you actually want to share with people. You don't with, want to withhold it. It's a treasure. Like in the idea of a family, if you have a fair family heirloom or a treasure or an investment that can bless your kids, you, you want to give it to them. But in the spiritual realm, a godly inheritance is something that it does not fade does not tarnish it doesn't lose its value so many times we think what do we want to pass on to the next generation well if you miss god what you pass on will not last so we have to communicate his faithfulness and the second thing is we have to live god's commands and teach them to our children that's the point of the family it's not picture perfect we don't have to appear before people like we have it all together And when we don't have it all together, it means that we get help. But ultimately means that I am going to commit my ways to God. And I'm going to struggle and I'm going to battle. There's going to be, it means I'm not going to get the things that I want when I want it. But again, based on what's important, I want to live life God's way. And I want to teach them to my kids. You find this in the psalm as well. He commanded our fathers to teach them to the children that the next generation might know them, the children yet are born, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. It's so easy to forget that God is the number one factor in life. If you're here and you've never committed your life to Christ, you don't even know He is a factor. Or if you have committed your life to Christ, you may realize that you know oftentimes you forget that He exists. He doesn't factor into your decisions. He doesn't factor into your plans. He doesn't factor into how you deal with your problems. That's part of sin. It's a battle. There's this picture of God wants to enter in whatever we're facing. And through His Word, He guides us on how to handle all that we have. What you find is, as we decide, as this generation decides... And I'm not just talking about if you're married with kids, but if you as a person decide that God is going to be the number one factor that steers and directs your life, you will have an impact on people. If it's God's will for your life to get married and have kids, you will have an impact on your kids. But it starts right now in the here and now, making the decision. Throughout history, you've seen that happen. I'm going to just very briefly mention a couple pictures of the generational impact. You see it in the Old Testament, uh, in the life of Jacob. Jacob was a manipulator. He was a liar. He really lived life his own way. This is the guy that his brother was coming out of the womb first and he grabbed the ankle and he went out first. Don't ask me how that is. But it's, it's true. It's what the Bible says. And so his name means supplanter, like 
You know, you were going to be second. Oh, wait, no, now you're first because you jacked your brother in the womb. And he, he lived the life just his own way for many, many years. And then he got to the point where he was tired. He was beat up by life. And his stubbornness realized he just, he wasn't experiencing life that God wanted for him. And there's an account in the scripture of Jacob that he actually wrestled with God. And he was struggling with God. He wanted to do life his way. And he was a struggle. And there was a wrestling match. And there's this picture. They, they actually wrestled. And it was at that wrestling point where, you know, God submitted him. I'm kind of into like, you know, ultimate fighting. But you don't want to get in a ring with God. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Like wrestling with God, you're going to get choked out. Okay? And that's part of the picture that happened. happened. Jacob's like, I want my way. I want my way. God, I want my way. I want my way. You know what, God? Never mind. I don't think my way is as good as your way. And he submitted. And God changed his name to Israel, which actually means to wrestle with God. But in that, in the wrestling, he submitted. He decided, you will be the number one factor for the rest of my life and how I live and how I raise my kids. And he messed up. And there's a lot of problems that came from him not walking with God, his family. But at the end of his life, he really steered the ship and he wanted to be faithful to God. And in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 10, you see this. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. There's this picture of when you live for yourself, you have just a small clan and it dies off. But when you live for God, God multiplies you. Not just flesh and blood, but God multiplies your life as you help other people connect to God. And as they help other people connect to God, you see this spread, not just the flesh and blood family, but the spiritual family of people that want to do life God's way. There's another example in the more modern era, but still a while ago, uh, Jonathan Edwards. He was a, a pastor and a theologian. And people have traced... Um, okay, what, what difference does it make for people that actually walk with God? And you hear a lot of stats that talk about you know, the Christian uh, stats on marriage and the non-Christian stats on marriage, they're the same. It seems like everyone's getting divorced. And a lot of it's true. There is a high, high number of divorce in both camps because sin enters in and it gets messed up. But there's people as well that decide that they really want to live life God's way, focus on Him. And this... Uh, journalist did a study of this specific family, Jonathan Edwards. And they traced his family and the impact that him and his wife had on their kids and the impact that their kids had on their kids and their kids on their kids. Now, I'm going to read you like this family tree. And again, you're going to feel like, okay, I think, because this family tree is impressive and I'm not saying it to discourage you, but I'm saying that the reality is no matter what God has for you, if He is the number one factor in your life, He will do greater things through you and your family than you can do by yourself. And so this is what came from Jonathan Edwards' family. One U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 missionaries. That's the picture. Now, again, you're like, I stink. Right? 
But it's this picture. That's God's faithfulness. And it's not just about Jonathan Edwards. There's actually this guy who did all this research, studied his wife as well. And there's this picture of that she had such an impact on the family unit because of the investment that she made in her kids. It was, again, her deciding to live life God's way and training that to her children. And he was very busy and he was gone a lot, but you see this picture of this mom that decided, I am going to allow my kids to understand what it means to walk with God. And there's a quote about the both of them. And this is the guy who did all this research. Research, A.E. Winship. He says, Jonathan Edwards was very godly, but he was also uncommonly hardworking, intelligent, and moral. Much of the capacity and talent, intensity, and character of the more than 1,400 of the Edwards family is due to Mrs. Edwards. And so what you see there is walking with God, it actually has a long-term ripple effect. That is, as you jump in, and do life God's way, the ripples that come from that extend beyond your lifetime. We all want to leave a legacy of some sort. We all want to make a difference. If you're like me, you probably want to have the greatest impact you can have. But it flows from each of us deciding. Not our friends, not our parents, not our spouse, not our children but me and you deciding that we want to do life His way. And that begins by committing your life to Him, allowing Him to call the shots in your life. That means He has say in how you live. And you know how He wants you to live by the commands that He's given in the Scripture. And so I want to encourage you, no matter again, the part of your story that you're excited about, the part of your story that you're frustrated about, the part of your story that you wish you could rewrite, decide today to live for God and to take Him seriously. And so I just want to ask you, just in kind of a time, just kind of dig down and kind of think through some things. Are there areas in your life where God just, He's not a factor? He's just not a factor. And where he's not a factor, what's the number one factor? If he's not it, what, what is it that you're really just kind of basing your life on? And today I just want to say that just for me personally, and I know there's many people, it's going to be a battle for the rest of your life because of sin to continually go to God and put him first. But if you do, the ripples extend and they impact the people that are in the stream of your life. So I just want to wrap up. There's a few next steps. If you could pull out that connection card as the band comes up, uh, you can make these next steps before God. And I would love to pray for you this morning. And so if you have a next step, you have a prayer request, you can mark it on that connection card. Uh, the offering is going to come by. Drop that completed connection card uh, in there. And here's the, the next steps. Memorize Joshua 24:15. I haven't mentioned that yet, but this is the commitment. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's where you decide. Today, I'm going to decide. I want to serve the Lord. And maybe you want to do that today, and I, I encourage you to make that commitment before God. Uh, the second next step is faithfully pray to have a, a generational impact 
read through Psalm 78 and think through how can you, no matter your stage of life, how can you impact the next generation of people? Those younger than you. How can you impact those people? And then the last thing is, trust God with my life and the story He wants to complete through me. Again, trust Him to write your story in a way that will bless you far more than if you wrote it yourself. Let's pray together and then we're going to continue worshiping God. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. And thank you for communicating to us just your, your ideas of how the family is supposed to look and supposed to be. And God, thank you for also meeting us where we are despite our experiences. And we are, we are broken people. Um, the world is broken because of sin. Our country is broken because of sin. And our lives are broken because of sin. But God, you are the great restorer. You take the cracks and you fill them in with your power and your Holy Spirit. And you fill in the picture that is incomplete. And so God, I ask that we will trust you today to complete through us what we can't do alone. God, we we wrestle with you and we want control. God, I pray that you'll help us to allow you to be the one that brings about the ends that we want. And God, help us to be faithful, to do things your way with the things that you've given us. I pray for all those in different circumstances, um, whether they're in the family that they've always hoped for or where they're trying to get the family that they've always wanted. God, thank you for meeting us right where we are. And despite the things that we have that we really want, God, you meet us and you actually give us all that we need to live life according to your design. So we thank you for that and for your love for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.